when I laid the foundations of the earth. Tell me if you know so much. Do you know how its, dimension, how its dimensions were determined and who did the surveying and what supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Kind of puts our uh, questioning of God into perspective, doesn't it? Lord of all the heavens, you are holy. What a great God we serve, and that's why we're here tonight, isn't it? Because we realise that in all the galaxies and stars, we're just a speck, but we're important and we're valued by our creator, God. And so tonight we come and we worship the God who made it all, the Lord of heaven and earth, and we just want to welcome you. Welcome into this place where people together lift up the name of, of God, the name of Jesus. And uh, we just hope that tonight you will be reminded of how the God who made the heavens of the earth knows you and wants to lead you and wants you to follow him uh, so that you can live the life that he planned for you to live. So it's great that you're here. I just want to say we've had some incredible times in our church and we've got plenty more ahead. We're at an exciting time to be part of this uh, family. I was here last Friday night, and I almost uh, boogied, you know, or what do you call it, uh, danced. I mean, <laughs> on Friday night, we had a, a gathering here where uh, a lot of the youth groups, n- numbers of youth groups, came together, and there was about 250 young people that were there. Uh, wasn't it just fantastic if you were here? Did you enjoy the night? Yes. Great, good. The thing I loved about it is there was, you know, some, some of us w- w- were there, then there were other you know, churches that have quite large youth groups, and then there were some that have just you know, a few, not many in their youth group that were there participating as well. I loved it. They would break, break up in the schools and prayed for... Uh, so people from different schools gathered together in the different parts of the church and prayed together. And it's just great to see uh, different churches who love Jesus worshipping not having to all be the same, but just acknowledging and valuing each other and together being unified. That's exciting, isn't it? Keep leading the way, youth. You make us older people uh, feel challenged. So that was great. So thank you. Chris up the back, I saw him being stretched. He was running around and all the different sounds from all the different churches and many of you were playing and doing that. So why don't we just say thanks to all those that represented our church and made it a great night. And I'm glad we're who we are, aren't you? But I appreciate other people too. It's fantastic. Um, the, other, the other thing is next week is just going to be a great week. Uh, and if Sunday night is, is your service, we want to encourage you next week. Come, we're going to talk about our church's vision, uh, the same sort of message in the morning as at night. But if you are able to come uh, at lunchtime over to Willow Park, we'll be having a barbecue, hamburgers, sausages provided, and it's going to be a great time together. Uh, we're having, we're talking about our vision in the morning, then we're doing it at night again together, and it's it's something that we've been talking about together as a leadership for a long, long time, 
and uh, it's been growing. As we've thought, we've prayed, we've been away on weekends together, we've shared it with a number of different groups around the church and together I'm, I'm more excited about this than I've been about any kind of series for a long time because I really feel God has been speaking to us and, and it's going to be an exciting time. So come next week to hear about that and we're going to be spending three weeks on the vision. I'll be speaking next week and then Phil will be speaking the following week and then uh, I'll be speaking again. So we just look forward to that. Um, I think tonight, as we come to the scripture that we're going to be looking from tonight, uh, whatever your circumstance, there's so much to know and to learn from this psalm. So Psalm 23, if you'd turn to that with me. And tonight I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I just I like the freshness that comes from that. Um, and uh, why don't we read along? Why don't, why don't we read it together? Uh, Psalm 23, and uh, follow along these familiar words. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such richness in these words, such meaning. Maybe you have spent a lot of time in Psalm 23 already in your life so far. But tonight, uh, let's pray that as we look through this together, God would speak to each one of us and uh, speak to our lives. Let's pray, shall we? Lord of all creation, God of the heavens, God of wonders beyond our galaxy, we come to you tonight knowing that although you made the heavens and the earth, you're right here with us now. And we would just say such knowledge is too wonderful for us to grasp, but we give you praise for who you are. And God, tonight we want to thank you for what you have done in our lives. God, what you've done in this church and in our young people and in their lives as you continue to call them to surrender everything and to follow you. And God, we thank you for Friday night as they met with other youth and as they proclaimed that you are their Lord and that together those who trust in you are part of your family. God, we praise you for the unity. We thank you for the sense of uh, unity that really was just demonstrated 
And we thank you that you rejoice in that kind of unity. And God, we pray that we would continue to be those that pray for other churches, that pray for other Christians in our cities. And God, that Albury and Wodonga would be a place where there are so many churches that are lifting up your name and deliberately studying your word and living their lives according to that. Oh God, thank you. And God, we want to also uh, thank you tonight for mothers. <coughs> we just give you praise for mums. And God, we thank you for the way in which our mums have affected our lives. And God, we thank you for providing mums for us, uh, those that have cared and loved and nurtured us and shaped us. And Lord, tonight we, we do say thank you. On, on this Mother's Day, God, we do too just want to recognise that for some Mother's Day is both a sad time because their mums have, have passed away. And we just pray for those who have lost their mums. And we just pray you minister to them today, tonight. God, we think of those who have had real difficulties relating to their mum. For whatever reason, there's been um, bitterness or unforgiveness or, or difficult things that have happened. Maybe mums have really hurt people here tonight. And we just pray, God, that you would be ministering to those people today and helping them to honour their mums as they honour you. And God, for mums tonight who uh, might be here and uh, are just facing challenges with their kids or in their own lives, we just pray that you would uh, strengthen them tonight. God, we pray for all the mums in this church that you would just bless them and strengthen them, help them to be people that just devour your word and, and read it and seek to live according to it each day. And God, we pray that our, the mums in this church would be those that pray for their children and live lives that their family can just uh, really be inspired by and encouraged by. And God, would you help mums in all of their struggles to look to you. God, we want to pray tonight for uh, mums all around the world and we just think of uh, mums in Burma and uh, in Myanmar. We pray for them as the whole place has just been devastated with this cyclone. And God, we pray for families that are uh, just struggling to survive right now. And we pray that you'd open up the borders and that the authorities would soften their stance and that food and aid would just flood into that place. And God, we pray for uh, people in Zimbabwe right on the uh, brink of, a, a, again, another runoff election. And we just pray, God, that in this time mothers and families that are just really wanting to be safe, that you would, they would know that you're with them and that you would uh, protect the people in that, in that country. And God, tonight, as we continue to worship you, we just thank you that you're with us and you love us and you want to be our shepherd. And we just thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Whether you're someone who admits to needing help, I uh, find it hard sometimes. This weekend's been a bit of a toughie for me, Mother's Day. 
We're supposed to be really kind to our uh, mothers that we know. And so Mandy, my wife, has two little kids. And uh, I'm, I'm not as good at, as Mandy at doing things, you know, um, some things. I'm not being sexist or anything like that. I'm just not a good cook. In fact, I'm a terrible cook. And yesterday, the kids got this idea, and they said, we're going we're gonna to cook lunch. We're going to make lunch for mum tomorrow. Now, one's a nine-year-old, and one's a six-year-old, just about to turn seven. And when they say that, what they really mean is, dad's going to help us make lunch tomorrow. And it's quite easy lunch. It was just uh, for couches. Should be simple, shouldn't it? Um, but then we had to go and buy a hot chicken and uh, avocados and pick apart the chicken and do all that. And I thought I'd done fantastically uh, today and Mandy would be thrilled and I got it all ready and we did. We had a fantastic lunch together with everyone around, the kids around the table and I helped make it. The kids all had their part and Mandy was delighted. And then we said, now why don't you just have an afternoon nap, Mandy, and uh, we'll look after the little surprise we're going to cook for you. And uh, we decided to make a cinnamon cake today. And uh, we looked at it and we started putting all these things in the thing. And then I said, Alex, what should the oven go on? And she said, oh, it says a moderate oven. You know? And I said, great, what does a moderate oven mean? <laughs> and she said, well, I don't know. I said, well, is there anything up the back? So she looked up the back and it said 250 to 350 degrees. And I, I looked it on the oven and ours just went up to 230, so I just put it right up to 230. And um, just a, a little bit later on, little Alex says, Dad, I think something's burning. And so we looked, looked in and sure, the top was burnt completely over, but not bad enough to abandon it. So I thought, put it down to a bit and sort of, you could see the insides that are bubbling. And when I left to come tonight, uh, we'd abandoned the whole thing and given up. It, uh, it's, I wonder whether you're good at admitting that you need help. I mean, I keep trying and uh, I say it makes me realise how much I need uh, someone who's good at cooking uh, in our house. And it, it makes me realise that. But it reminds me with life too. I mean, when you think about it, life is pretty fragile, don't you reckon? I mean, here we are in this world where so many things can go wrong. And uh, we can find ourselves worrying and being consumed by worry. There's so many things that have to be done and we can find ourselves just feeling so overwhelmed with busyness in our life. Uh, sometimes we can find ourselves um, realising that there's things that are wrong in our life because of people that have hurt us or done things to us or things that we're still carrying and we quite just don't know how to fix them. We, we, can, we can find ourselves in this life as we just walk this earth for our short time that we're here, uh, not knowing which way to go, whether to choose this direction or that direction or make this decision. And we can find ourselves even facing things like death and find ourselves just completely not knowing what to do. Hurt and worried about a future that's unknown. And when it comes to this, you know what many people do? Make up 
kind of things and say, oh, I can get by. Look, at it can't be that hard. Look at everyone else on the way. I'll, I'll be able to sort things out. I will be right. We'll give it a shot, see if we can do it ourselves. And often what we find making of our life is just a burnt cinnamon cake until we actually realise that we do need help to live this life that we're living. Anyone know what that's like to get to that stage where you realise, I just, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I know a few things about life, but I just can't make it on my own. David, Psalm 23, a shepherd, someone who had experience with sheep, writes this psalm. And you know what, where he puts himself? As a sheep. He's got a good perspective on where he fits in this world. I'm just like one of those sheep, he says. And he begins with showing how in this life God has answers to our worries. That's the first thing he answers. If you've got it there with you, why don't you take a look at it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Many people worry about so many things. Uh, some people worry that they haven't got enough things to worry about even. It gets like that, you know. Sometimes our worry uh, revolves around simple things like whether we'll pass this upcoming exam or whether we'll have enough to pay the bills or whether we'll be able to do a particular job or, uh, by a certain time. Often we worry, I think, when we get our eyes on what other people have and we want the same as what they've got. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Uh, we look at other things and we think, I should be more ahead. We compare ourselves with others and we start to worry that we're not uh, got the same possessions or the same gifts or the same talents as other people. I won't have enough, we think. Other times uh, we worry about things that haven't occurred yet but actually might occur. Like, what if this breaks, this thing that I've, I've got and depend on? Or what if an accident occurs? Or what if, what if, what if? Whatever causes us to worry, the answer is to make the Lord your shepherd. And when you do, you'll be able to say, I have everything I need. I have everything I need. Have you said that lately? Uh, I have everything I need. Our world doesn't encourage that kind of talk, does it? But a shepherd's role is actually to look after the sheep. That's what shepherds do. And when the sheep have a shepherd, they don't have to be concerned with where the food's going to be found or they don't have to be anxious about where they're going to find water. It's the shepherd's responsibility. Even worries like... Will I be attacked by wild animals? Or will I get disease? Or things, will things get caught in my wool? Don't worry 
a sheep who's got a good shepherd, you know? If you're a shepherd, if you are your shepherd, like if you are the one that's looking after your life, well, you better start worrying. I mean, worrying's the right thing to do if you're the shepherd of your life. You better work hard. You better not sleep because of the dangers that might be ahead and around the corner. You better ask, you know, have I got every base covered? But if you ask the Lord to be your shepherd, the worry reduces. Why? Well, who is the Lord? Who's the Lord that we make our shepherd so that we have everything that we need? Well, David refers to the Lord, and the Lord in, in this translation is Jehovah, the most respected and loftiest title that a Jew could utter, the word Jehovah. And the Hebrews uh, stood in awe before, uh, before this Lord. And so they couldn't even say this word, so they substituted it because it was such an incredible lofty word to say, Jehovah, that they substituted it for a lesser word, a lesser title. And whenever it, it occurred, they would use that. And Jehovah means I am the self-existent being. God is the one who is and who was and who is to come. He's the Lord. He's the one who, who inhabits eternity. He's the one who in him is life. Uh, one writer, a guy named F.B. Meyer, uh, wrote of this title, The Lord. He says, All other Life from the aphid on the rose leaf to the archangel before the throne is dependent and derived. All others waste and change and grow old. He is the only unchangeable, the same. All others are fires which he supplies with fuel. He alone is self-sustained. This mighty being is our shepherd. Incredible, the Lord. From our perspective today, the Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd of the psalm. And he said in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the shepherd is the Lord, uh, Jehovah, the I am. And he's the creator. He's not the created. And Jesus is the good shepherd. And in fact, he says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am uh, the living water. I am the light of the world. And this psalm points to Jesus, who is the Lord and the Savior. He laid down his life. He died for you. He died for you. For me, I am. A shepherd would have spent a lot of money to buy his sheep. He would have uh, forked out, you know, uh, saved up, forked out and purchased them. And then he would guard them because he bought them and he would own them with his care because they were his. They belonged to him. They were his flock. Uh, 
what a difference was seen those in those days to the hired hand. Not the shepherd who owned the flock, but the sort of flock that was being looked after by a paid sort of worker. Uh, those uh, had a big difference. They didn't care so much about the sheep because, if, because they didn't buy them. They didn't pay for them. And if the sheep uh, would look out, uh, uh, would often find themselves in danger because the shepherd, if, who was the hired hand, would run when danger came, would not give them the best grazing land. The question is tonight as we begin, who's your shepherd? Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? Because if the Lord's your shepherd, your worries are answered. Your stress level comes down because he can meet every need you have. And the Bible makes it clear that we're to put our hope in God, put our hope in him to provide our needs rather than worrying about everything. We look to him because God is able to provide what we need and he'll take care of it so we can quit worrying, we can quit stressing. This is what it says in Philippians 4 verse 6, don't worry about anything but in everything by prayer and petition. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Don't quit worrying. Let him know. Do you know what I find in my life? When I start to check myself in my worry, you know what I realise? I need to quieten down and remind myself that God is in control, that he's my shepherd. I find that the more I pray about the things that I'm concerned about or worried about, the more I realise that he knows it and he's got things under his control. You know, the second thing this psalm talks about is that God has answers for our business. God, as our, because the Lord is our shepherd, he provides answers to our business. He says, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. When um, uh, Mandy and I, four years, four years ago almost now, came to Wodonga, we thought that life would be slower for us, relaxing. We thought about the country life and sea change, you know, and all of those, what do they call them, tree change. We thought we would talk slower, walk slower, eat slower. But what we found is people are just as busy in Wodonga and Albury as they are anywhere in the world. We're all the same, aren't we? We, we can really make ourselves get busy. And I, I, don't know, uh, I don't know about you, but I think anywhere we go, business can follow us. I want you to notice here, though, that the verse doesn't say, he makes me run silly and go around till I'm exhausted. You notice that? Um, there's a, a lady called Marcia Hornick, and she wrote the following. And I wonder if you can see any of reality in your life. This is what she wrote. Psalm 23, an antithesis. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it done. 
for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my needs for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. And don't say amen, because, but many of us feel like that, don't we? Um, this is often so true for Christians. In fact, especially for Christians sometimes. The, the real psalm doesn't say that. It says, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. Is that how you would describe your walk with God? You're feeling rested? Um, one of the things I think this verse is saying that he wants to take responsibility for our worries and to allow us to rest and to slow down and to be refreshed. Now, one of the greatest dangers, I think, that can happen of us following Christ is that we get so busy that we wear out and we uh, crash and we walk away from the Good Shepherd. How many people have you met who once were following Jesus but all of a sudden they just got burnt out and too exhausted, got disillusioned with it all and walked away? I think it's a tragedy for us because it's not that God didn't forget to tell us. I mean, all you have to do is start reading the Ten Commandments and right there at about number four is that you should just take a day off once every week. I mean, when you start reading the Bible, in Genesis it says, you know, the Lord created and on the seventh day he rested. He rested. And work is good. It's great to work and to get a good job done. It's great to be passionate about serving God. But rest is just as important. And we need to take that example of what God has called us to do and to slow down. You know, Satan loves to make us feel like we're not doing enough. Satan loves to get you busy. Makes you feel condemned that you're not doing enough. And some of you tonight, maybe in three or four ministries... And you may be finding yourself getting a little bit frustrated. And I just think that's quite normal for people who do too much. Have you ever felt yourself getting absolutely frustrated because you're just trying to do too much? And I think God might be saying, I I didn't call you to be busy. I want you to use the gifts that you've got to serve me wholeheartedly, but not to be so exhausted that you can't make it through. And I think for our families and our friends and for our own relationships' sake, we have to allow God to make us rest, to let us rest in green meadows and to to slow down. Our our family really seeks to take a day off every week and to enjoy that day together and to really slow down and to rest and to do no work. Sometimes... That's just what we need. Some of you tonight, perhaps the best thing you can do is go straight home and get to bed. Some of you maybe have been doing, staying up really late consistently and wondering why you're frustrated or feel like God's not speaking to you like he once did. Or maybe you're feeling like you're just moving further and further away. So you just keep going. Just have a sleep. It might be the most spiritual thing you can do. 
Go to bed early. Sleep in tomorrow. Don't say that. Don't hold me. Don't get your boss calling me for encouraging you to do that. But really, that might work. So, so God answers my worries. He answers my busyness. You know what else? God has answers for damaged emotions. Look, look what he says. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. This is good news. This is really great news. Because uh, we all need to have our souls repaired, don't you think? I mean, every now and again, we need to find healing and, and help. We get hurt. In, in this life, you come across all kinds of different people and situations and we get discouraged, we get depressed, we get filled with despair, we have fatigue, we have failure, we have frustrations, we have fears, we have hidden hurts from our past, we, we carry wounds, we have little we battle scars all through us and emotional baggage we carry around with us from people who have hurt us and people that have done untold things and, and God wants to take that emotional hurt, that damaged emotions, and he wants to restore my soul, your soul. He's our shepherd. He wants to do that. How does he do that? There's lots of ways, but I think there's two ways tonight. I think the first way is he wants us to let God remove our guilt. I think that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to let God Remove my guilt. Um, nothing destroys the soul faster than guilt, I, I reckon. I mean, when you feel guilty, you feel overwhelmed and it, it just bears down on you. Look at what um, the psalmist said in Psalm 38 and verses 4 and 6. He, he wrote, My guilt is overwhelmed, has overwhelmed me like a burden, too heavy to bear. I'm bowed down and brought low. All day long, I go about mourning. You know, guilt, guilt bears us down. I wonder how you deal with your guilt. There are plenty of ways that people try and deal with guilt when they feel it. And one is to deny it. Just pretend that it doesn't exist. You know, just to keep moving along and trying to sort of bury the past. People think, oh, just bury the past. But it just doesn't work, does it? I mean, if you bury the past when it's still alive, it gets resurrected regularly, doesn't it? At the most unhelpful times, it comes back out. You can minimise it. A lot of people uh, try and minimise it. It was no big deal. It was not a big sin of mine. You know, it was just something that every... You know, it's, it's not a big, big sin. It was just one of those things. But why do we still remember it? Why does it still come up all the time? Why can't we just forget it then? Minimising guilt doesn't work. Sometimes you can compromise it by lowering your standards. Like you think um, if you feel guilty about it, just say like, oh, I don't really believe it's the wrong thing to do. You know, you heard people say that? I mean, in relationships, this is right. You know, oh, I used to think that far, but now I can go this far and then this far and it's just, I don't think it's wrong. Or we can say that with, you know, I used to think it was right to reconcile things, but, you know, and, you know that's, I've only gone so far now. That's not, I don't believe that anymore. But just because I don't believe it's wrong or I change my standards, it's still sin. You can rationalise it, you know, everybody does it. 
But just because everybody does it, doesn't mean that I still did it and I still feel that guilt. None of these things work with trying to deal with our own guilt, don't you think? There's only one way that can help you have your guilt dealt with, and that is to give it to God. It's to give it to the Lord, your shepherd, to, to God. He's the only one that can remove it. You know what it says in uh, Romans 3.23, it says, uh, 3.23 and 24, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, his glorious standards. Yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. And he's done this through Jesus Christ who's freed us by taking away our sins. You know, one of the most basic truths of Christianity is that Jesus has already taken your sin on the cross. Everything that you've ever done wrong has been paid for. Everything that you do in the future has been paid for. Everything you're uh, already committed, the stuff that you've done in your life, Jesus died on the cross. The mistakes, the regrets, the things, the, the guilt. You know, and you know what? All that needs to happen is for you to accept what he has done on the cross. Receive his forgiveness. And no more guilty, it says in Romans 3.23, because of what Jesus has done. You just need to ask God to forgive your sin, to accept you, to accept what Jesus has done on the cross in your place and come to him. And he'll take your guilt. He'll take it completely and you'll be treated like you don't deserve. The second way I think that God answers damaged emotions, the way he restores our soul as we uh, allow him to be our shepherd, is this. I think when we let him to be our shepherd, we let God, I let God replace my grudges. Uh, Grudges are things, so first of all, you know, my guilt is often things that I've done wrong, I feel guilty about. But my grudges are things that people have done against me, things that people have done to hurt me. And you're going to be hurt in life. It's just... You can underline it now. You know, you're going to be hurt in life. Try as much to please everybody and be nice. Life isn't fair. Things will go wrong. People will hurt you, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And either way, it still hurts when people hurt you. But how you handle it, how you deal with the resentment that you feel, The way you deal with it determines whether you will be a bitter person or a better person. The difference, I think, is that you need to make the choice when you're hurt. I can choose whether these circumstances are going to devastate me when someone hurts me or I can direct my path in a different way, where it will, instead of I'll becoming bitter, I'll become better. What do I do with all that hurt that is piled up? 
and all the emotional garbage that I feel where people have hurt me and I feel resentment and I can't let go and it tightens my stomach and I start to feel sick and I start to, it starts to really affect me and sometimes I feel completely depressed and overwhelmed and I keep playing it over in my head what people did to me. And Job 5 and verse 2 says, To worry yourself to death with resentment would be foolish, senseless thing to do. Why? Well, because resentment doesn't hurt the other person at all. I mean, it just hurts you. It kills you. You get all caught up and sometimes the other person doesn't even know what's happening. They're totally oblivious. They've gone on with their life. And, you know, some, some of you are continuing to allow other people from your past to hurt you right now. And it's really crazy. It's crazy. Your past is your past. They can't hurt you anymore unless you keep rehearsing it over and over, unless you keep bringing it up and thinking over it and going around it in your mind. And every time you rehearse it, uh, they'll hurt you again. They may even be dead and they're still hurting you. And the only thing that can change is you not holding on to it. Job 18.4 says, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. Romans 12 and verse 19 says, dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. He has said he will repay those who deserve it. You know, the King James said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know, he's going to take care of, of all those things. If you've been unfairly treated, you know what? Heaven is real. Hell is real. And God will be just and fair. You just don't need to do that yourself. Realise that God will, will take care of it. And therefore, uh, when you do that and you allow him to be your shepherd and say, God, I'm going to trust you to bring justice and I don't have to, you can do what it says uh, in, in God's word. and says, get rid of all bitterness, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4.31. Forgive. <laughs> get rid of all bitterness and you'll find God has the answer to damaged emotions. He'll restore your soul and people won't be able to damage you or hurt you like they once did. He restores my soul. And the way he does that is by forgiving my guilt, all the things I've done to hurt others and to hurt God, so that now I can forgive others when they hurt me. And that's where I get the strength, by realising that I got what I didn't deserve. So God has answers to damaged emotions that David knew so well. He also has answers to uncertainty. If you make the Lord your shepherd, then you're worrying about the future and what will happen and the decisions to make. It becomes easier. 
Life is full of decisions. I've made so many decisions in my life, and so have you, and every day we face decisions that we must make. And success in life, really, when you think about it, is a result of the decisions that we make in life. We either make good decisions or bad decisions. And each day as we come to make decisions, some people make terrible decisions and they end up continuing to make terrible decisions and it affects their lives. We make our decisions, someone said, and our decisions make us. Because we're human beings, um, you and I are just so prone to make mistakes. I mean, I make mistakes all the time. Decision-making can be a stressful thing. What course am I going to do? Who am I going to go out with? Where are we going to live? What am I going to, uh, you know, what am I going to do this week with my spare time? Some of you now are facing major decisions in your life and it's hard to know what to do. And I wonder, have you ever been afraid of making that wrong decision? Should I hold on or let go? Should I get married or should I start a new job? Should I move? The promise here is in the midst of uncertainty, he guides me along the right path, bringing honour to his name. Uh, The Palestinian shepherd was a master at at, uh, reading tracks you know, could, could see tracks in the ground. Many marks and many paths w- would often be sprawled along the track and there would be all uh, little signs around of what lay ahead that the shepherd, a good shepherd, would understand. Some were tracks made by wild beasts, and others by robbers who would be lying up in, in wait, ready. Others were just that the wind had made, sort of tracks in the ground, grooves as the wind blew. And... Sometimes to the untrained eye or to the sheep who wasn't really looking, all these tracks looked all the same. And sometimes a sheep might go down one of those wind-blown paths in the sand and thinking it's a path and find itself right down the wrong way. Uh, But they led nowhere. The sheep was really wise to follow the shepherd and stick as close as they could. The shepherd always led them along the right track and it was the shepherd's reputation at stake. If a shepherd kept losing sheep, people didn't blame the sheep. They looked at the shepherd. That's why it brought honour to his name. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Uh, Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will show you the right path. You and I, bunch of sheep, God, the Lord, is saying, Stick close to me. Read my word. Understand what I'm saying for your life and where I want to lead you. I want to lead you. Follow me. The psalm kind of gets a bit dark now. 
and the whole tone kind of changes. God's answer to dark valleys and death comes through here. Even when I walk through the valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are with me, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You know, early in the year when the flock would graze leisurely and they'd be in the lowlands of, of, of the uh, countryside, but later on what would happen is the summer sun would come and would melt some of the snow that was on the top of the mountains and the shepherds would find that it would be better to go up, to, up the top of the mountains to lead the flock up, up to the better grazing areas. And to get there, they would have to go through the dark valleys to get up to the top of the mountains. And this would include dangerous paths to go down into those valleys. And there were un- uncertain things that they wouldn't know what would be lying down there and fearful sights. Uh, the way was dark, it was unfamiliar, it was difficult. And the valley uh, of deep darkness is dark because the sunlight cannot reach the lowest parts of the valley. You see what's happening there? It was difficult. And there would be shadows, there'd be wolves that might be in the shadows, there might be you know, snakes that might be down there. Uh, there, there might be things that would attack them and it could be dangerous. But the sheep who walked beside the shepherd, they're safe. They're safe walking along beside the shepherd. And they're secure. Though they would have been frightened and uncertain in this new place because the shepherd was there leading them, preparing the way. They were close. It just reminds me of what the writer of Hebrews said to that community that was suffering great persecution in Hebrews. He just said to the followers, he said, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's Hebrews 12, 2 to 3. He's, he's the writer there saying, look to Jesus. Just like sheep need to look to Jesus when we're going through the most difficult times. Jesus is close with you. One of the truths of life is that unless Jesus comes uh, soon, before you die, all of us are going to die. Uh, our life on earth will end and you people will one day feel your pulse and there will be no pulse in you. For God, death is not the end for you. I mean, though your pulse might stop, you'll still go on. And God is there when we die and go to be with him. And he'll be waiting for us and he'll bring us through to eternal life and we'll be with him forever. And you know what? That's just one reason alone for you to make the Lord your shepherd. Because whatever dark valleys, whatever dangers come, he'll be with you and he'll lead you through even if it ends in death, the danger that you face. And that's good news. God also not only has answers to dark valleys, but he has answers to hurt. Here it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Uh, We have uh, enemies table set in the presence of enemies. And, and I think what David's saying here is uh, don't seek revenge. 
Don't, don't try to get even with your enemies. Don't try to retaliate them or against people that hurt you. Trust in God and he will even the odds. Give it to God. He'll sort things out. Let him settle the score with you. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And here, sheep have met lots of natural enemies, wolves, wild dogs, bears, even those little ticks that get into, into their skin, uh, into their uh, fur, uh, wool, wool. <laughs> snakes, snakes are real dangers to sheep. Uh, they're very weak sheep, are uh, weak. They're largely defenceless animals. They don't have sharp teeth or claws. Have you ever felt frightened by a sheep lately? We don't normally. Um, they, they have to let the shepherd defend them because they're weak. And you know what? The job of a good shepherd is to find a good tableland, um, a, a field of green grass, and to drive out all the enemies from that area. And then he brings the sheep in and gives them a safe place to eat, and he scouts out the pasture and drives out the enemies. And God says to you and I, let me handle those who have hurt you. Let me do that. Those that you feel are trying to attack you or people that are you know, really are getting you down, let me take control. Leave that to me, God says. I'll be your shepherd. I'll take on this. I'll repay those. And God knows the people who have hurt you. He really does. He knows everything about you. He saw it and he cares that it happened to you. And he can settle the score. He's quite able to. And the Bible says that one day he will. It's, it's, it's true. He has far more resources to settle the score than you ever do. And you've got to decide, are you going to take revenge or are you going to trust God as he prepares a table in the presence of your enemies? It says here too that he anoints my head with oil and oil was often used for two reasons on sheep, one to soothe and one to heal. And the first was that flies are some of the worst enemies of sheep and oil would often be used um, and, and would be put over the, um, over the head of a sheep and would actually help, help, the, help the sheep there. Um, often flies... Um, would come and they would lay eggs in the in the fur in the wool, and sometimes they would just stay there. And the flies would have all these uh, eggs and larva that would just drive the sheep crazy, and it would be absolutely annoying and frustrating for the sheep. And sometimes in summertime, you might even have seen sheep banging their heads against rocks, you know, to try and get all this all, all these out. And it's like an insect repellent oil. And it helps them. It, they can't do anything about it, but the shepherd puts on this oil and, and soothes it. It's an amazing thing that little things in life can frustrate us and get us so irritated, can't they? Oh, why do they have to keep doing that? And we have a shepherd who can give us oil and help us. The other thing is that it's like an ointment to heal wounds. And... It's the same thing that Christ wants to heal the hurts in our lives. Cast all your cares upon me, Jesus says. I want to take them from you. God heals the brokenhearted, Psalm 147. Final thing tonight, God has an answer to fearing the future. Often, it says here in this, in this 
last part of the psalm, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an exciting, encouraging future you have if the Lord is your shepherd. See, so many people worry about uh, whether what the future holds and I can face the future confidently if the Lord is my shepherd because he's watching over me. Surely goodness will watch over me, will pursue me, will follow me all the days of my life. If you have a relationship with God, he's going to help you grow as you look to him every day. He will help you grow in maturity as he leads you, as he pursues you with his goodness, as you look to him as your shepherd. And, and he's watching over you. Every moment, he's watching over all that you do. Surely goodness will pursue me all the days of my life. But not only that, look what the, look what the verse says, that his mercy, surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. You know what? I still am so thankful for all that Jesus did on the cross for me. When I first trusted in Jesus, he forgave me from all the sins of the past, all the sins that I was committing and all the sins that I would before. And you know what? I'm still overwhelmingly thankful for his mercy that has followed me. You know what grace, uh, people say that grace means? It's just God's richest, uh, riches, God's riches at Christ's expense. God gave me grace at Christ's expense. He paid for my sin and I got what I didn't deserve, forgiveness and grace, mercy when I deserved death, judgment, the penalty. And, you know, those things follow you. When you've really been forgiven, you don't shake those off and leave them behind. They follow you all the days of my life. The last part of this psalm says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. Let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, This truth that we should hold on to. Now, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, when we die and leave those bodies, listen to this, we will have a home in heaven. We will have a home in heaven an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. This life is not the end. When we die, we will go to live with God forever. And he will be there. And those who we've loved who have died will be there. And we will be rewarded for all the faithfulness and good things that we've done. And God will give us great things that we will find great joy in doing for all of eternity with the God of the heavens and the earth the one who made everything and who is our shepherd. So today, I want to just ask you, is the Lord your shepherd? Like, do you sometimes get a picture in your mind of you being a sheep that's kind of, you know, I can do this all by myself? Or have you come to the point when you realise you just cannot do it? You cannot live this life without a shepherd. God sent his son because he loves you so much that you would not have to worry, that you not have to fear death, that you not have to worry about the future and uncertainties and carry the emotional wounds that you have, but that you could give everything over to the shepherd and let him lead you. I think God wants to 
come to every one of you tonight and just to say, hey, I want to lead you. I want to lead you. you know, that going off that track, I want to bring you back. That worry, I want to take it from you. That guilt, my son died for that. Receive the forgiveness. You know, or I just want to come to you tonight. It might be tonight that you've been a follower of Jesus for a long, long time, but you've just felt tonight God saying, I want to lead you afresh. I want to correct you. I want to move you on. Why don't you just say yes to him tonight afresh. Recommit. Say, God, I know I've put my trust in you before, but tonight I'm asking you afresh to be my shepherd. And tonight if you're here with just so much, you know, emotional wounds that need healing that are driving you and just bringing out all the worst responses that you wished would never happen. God doesn't want it to be that way. He wants to heal you. Why don't you respond to him tonight? Let's just spend a moment right now as we pray. God, thank you that you're our shepherd. Thank you, God, for promising that you will be with us and that you'll guide us and lead us. And Lord, for times when we've gone away and astray and thought that we could do it on our own and arrogantly stamped our foot at you and said, we know best when you're the creator of the heavens and the earth and you made us, we're sorry. And God, tonight we just want to say we want our paths to be your paths. We want to be those that rest and lie down in green pastures. We want to be those that can forgive and not fight that allow you to fight our battles and you to bring justice. And so tonight, God, we just want to say thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for allowing him to die on the cross in our place. Oh, God, and thank you that as you're our shepherd, goodness and mercy will just follow us all the days of our life and when our life on earth ends, we'll be with you forever. There's no God like you. There's no God like you, Jehovah, our Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't made the Lord your shepherd, just, why don't you just come down at the front and talk to someone next to you tonight or, 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 or just make that decision right where you are. Um, as we continue this service. I wonder right now if you could just take out a blue card. They're in the